Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 293, recorded on May 16th, 2023. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. We start this week with exciting news for those of you interested in a fast, next-generation, copy-on-write file system for Linux. Kent Overstreet has sent the patch series for bcache.fs now for review by the kernel team. This is uh, the highlight of my week. We've been watching the development of bcache.fs for, I mean, feels like 100 years, but probably half a decade. Uh, and Kent has specifically been working on getting the file system production ready for the last few years. So we've kind of been in a heightened mode of watching. <laughs> so it's really great to see Kent sending these patches. It's a huge milestone. The patch set is currently based on the Linux 6.3 source tree as well. In the mailing list post, Kent notes the features are, quote, too many to list, as well as the number of known bugs. But some of the high-level goals of the file system that interest us include performance. It's designed to be very fast. It's also built to resist corruption and other errors with checksumming, and it has data deduplication in a journaling system. Yeah, as you would expect from something that's a, a modern file system, bcachefs supports a whole wide range of really competitive features including encryption, snapshots, and subvolumes. It's also designed to be extensible, so that way, as we come up with new ideas, those features can be added with relative ease in the future. And Wes, I think we probably both agree that bcachefs has the potential to become this new default file system that we wanted to see ButterFS turn into, but hasn't really seemingly happened. And with bcachefs as the default, the basic Linux install will have a really competitive file system that competes one-on-one with commercial-grade file systems. If you're interested, we'll put a link to the set of 32 patches for the bcachefs kernel driver in the notes. And if you really want to get hands-on, you'll also find a test server setup guide for NixOS. There have been a few comments about stylistic issues and technical changes, so bcachefs will likely need further refinements before it's actually included in the kernel. But it's looking like one big step closer to being mainlined, so we'll keep an eye on things. And now a bit of bad news. We typically don't report on the day-to-day staffing changes at the various Linux companies that we follow, but this week... Well, we wanted to make a note about Ben Cotton, the Fedora program manager at Red Hat. Well, he was at Red Hat. Unfortunately, Cotton was part of the 4% reduction in Red Hat staff we told you about recently. Cotton had been with Red Hat for five years and was responsible for coordinating with the Fedora community, Red Hat engineering, upstream projects, and hardware vendors. Yeah, in a blog post, Cotton expressed that He had some disappointment at being laid off, but said he was optimistic about the future and his ability to find a new job. He wrote on his blog that he didn't understand why his position was eliminated, saying, quote, There's no indication that my role was targeted specifically. There are definitely people in Red Hat who continue to view Fedora as strategically important. I wish I had a clearer understanding of how they chose people or roles to cut, but I'll probably never know the process. Cotton goes on to say that while he won't be contributing as the Fedora program manager anymore, he will still be involved, writing, quote, What I do know is that I fully intend to still be participating in the Fedora community when my account hits the 20-year mark in May 2029. That's good to hear. As for the ramifications to the Fedora project, well, we just don't know yet. Of course, we'll keep an eye on things and report what we do discover, but 
one hopes that the team members around Cotton can step up and take that work on. But that's not really fair to them. ADE Plasma developers just wrapped up a Germany-based in-person sprint, their first since 2009. The team is getting ready for Plasma 6, and much work is needed. The focus of the sprint was identifying and organizing that work. Some of the topics discussed include stabilizing Plasma 6 so that everyone can start using it full-time, discussing some significant UX changes that are planned for Plasma 6, API changes for Framework 6 that are relevant to Plasma, and improving the test infrastructure. 9to5Linux has a roundup of some of the decisions already made for the next version of Plasma, and we'll have a link in the notes. Linode.com slash land. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit and check out the exciting news. Linode is now part of Akamai. All the developer-friendly tools like the Linode Cloud Manager, their fantastic API, and that command line client that I love, the things that help you build, deploy, and scale in the cloud, those are still available, but now they're combined with Akamai's power and global reach. They're expanding their services to offer more cloud computing resources and tools while providing reliable, affordable, and scalable solutions for yourself, an individual, and businesses of all sizes. As part of Akamai's global network of offerings, their data centers will expand worldwide. They're investing big, giving you access to even more resources to help you grow your business and serve your customers, your clients, your friends, your family. So why wait? Visit linode.com slash land today to learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help you scale your applications from cloud to edge. Linode.com slash land. And thanks to Collide. Collide.com slash LAN. Collide can help Okta users achieve 100% fleet compliance. If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log in to your cloud applications until they've fixed the problem. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions on how to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. It's that simple. Collide's solution ensures device compliance as part of authentication, which reduces support tickets and IT frustration while ensuring 100% compliance. Learn more or book a demo at collide.com slash LAN. We wanted to end this week with a story that's just outside the Linux world, but one that definitely touches on the values of free software. Four plaintiffs from California, Illinois, Michigan, and Washington State, our home state, who have new or used Model S's and X's have filed a lawsuit against Tesla late last week seeking a class action status for their fellow affected owners. The plaintiffs in this lawsuit are accusing Tesla of slowing down their cars via software updates. They say that Tesla promised that their batteries would last the car's life, but that Tesla has been, quote, deliberately and significantly interfering with the car's performance by reducing their operating capacity. The plaintiffs are seeking unspecified damages from Tesla and an injunction prohibiting Tesla from further slowing down their cars via software update. Yeah, so in one example, a plaintiff in California says that an over-the-air update in late September of last year reduced their Model S battery range from 270 miles, or 434 kilometers, to just 80 miles, or 128 kilometers, per charge. That plaintiff also states that his only option was to hire a third-party shop to roll back that update. 
He paid $500 for that privilege. Yeah, one of the other plaintiffs, Lucas Butler of Washington State, said that he received an over-the-air update for his Model S in March that completely disabled the vehicle. When he took his car to a Tesla dealership, Butler claimed he was told he would need to pay $20,768.56 to replace the battery. In the lawsuit, they wrote, prior to the software update, Plaintiff Butler's battery range was approximately 255 miles per charge. Now, he is unable to operate his vehicle. Hybrid Revolt, a company that helps Tesla owners roll back their software updates, said in a lawsuit that Tesla is the only one who really knows why its software updates started causing a battery error and loss of battery capacity starting in August of last year. The suit quotes Hybrid Revolt as alleging, Upon diagnosing BMS underscore U029, no known fault could be associated with the vehicle's battery pack. Thus, it's unclear as to why the error is being triggered. Tesla's solution is to replace the entire traction pack at a great expense. And you can imagine Hybrid Revolt's position here. They're just left to do like black alchemy to try to figure out how to roll back software updates and restore previous versions that did work and do diagnostics on the battery packs. They have no information on on how any of this is works or it's set up. It's just what they can figure out and reverse engineer. And that's how the entire shop does everything. And as for Tesla, they don't even bother responding to these suits. They just allow the court to simply rule in absentia, and they typically, the court, typically awards some sum of money that might cover the cost of a new battery. And while that is really frustrating with Tesla, my concern is really broader than just them. I feel like this is a trend that we see from everything from toaster ovens to EVs, and consumers need more visibility into how software and the software lifecycle is managed by these manufacturers. Now, this is obviously a complicated engineering problem, but maybe part of the solution here is to just build these systems with the expectation that sometimes they're going to have issues right from the start. What if EV makers put a software rollback option in the menu? I mean, it's your car. Shouldn't you be able to reverse that change if it does something you don't like? Yeah, in theory, right? If I showed up at a shop and they put tires on I didn't like, I could have them roll that change back. It's just in the physical world. You know, something similar happened in Norway, where owners of a Tesla Model S sued for harming the battery life and the charging capabilities after a software update in 2018. These things are obviously going to happen, but we need some kind of net in here that helps consumers, and they're not just stuck with a $20,000 bill. Uh, I mean, right now, I think our best course of action is to inform each other and spread the word of these problems so we can start asking or demanding manufacturers to fix this, and maybe we start voting with our wallets. Will we see open source come to cars? I mean, we know it's under the hood. Some of these systems are running on open source and free software. But what about the entire stack, like the infotainment OS, the entire stack, or maybe even more critical and germane to this conversation, what about the charging software stack, both in the EV and at the charging station? Shouldn't these things be open standards and open software? At least a boy can dream. We'll keep an eye on all of this and everything else going on in the world of Linux and open source. So don't miss a single episode of Linux Action News. Go subscribe at linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch or let us know about your Haywire Tesla updates. And if we missed a story, 
Let us know what it was. Boost in with one of those new podcast apps and tell us what you'd like us to cover. And we'll be back next week with our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. That's all the news for this week. <laughs>